Well, I'm delighted to be here with you today. Uh, I actually asked Pastor Jamie if I could do this today, and uh, partly, you know, is the fact that I am so delighted to be standing here because it is bearing testimony that God answers prayer. Uh, I have heard from so many of you, I know there have been hundreds involved in terms of praying for my recovery and my health, you know, and I'm glad to say that Jesus Christ has answered your prayers. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I just went through what uh, is, was a life-threatening experience. October 29th, I went to the Ridges Hospital Emergency Center, and uh, I had lost the ability to move because I was in so much pain. After a series of tests, they discovered that I had a blood infection that had also probably invaded a couple of my damaged discs in my back, and that's what was causing the pain. Um, now, a blood infection by itself is bad enough, uh, but I have two artificial heart valves, and blood infections love artificial heart valves. <laughs> And so there was a danger of those becoming infected, and if they were infected, that meant that I would have to have emergency surgery, and uh, they'd rip open my chest and hopefully replace the valves if that was possible. Um, yeah. Uh, they also then went ahead and transferred me to Fairview Southdale Heart Hospital, which happens to be one of the 10 top heart hospitals in the whole USA, so it was a good place to be. Uh, they needed me to have a bed in case they had to do emergency surgery, and they immediately began also a series of very strong antibiotic therapy intravenously. And uh, they tested me five days after that had started, and all the infectious markers were already gone. Yeah, uh, no, and I, I honestly, I, I believe that God healed me when you started to pray for me, or as you prayed for me. I, I believe that God healed me, but... The doctor called Pastor Jamie, my son, and he told him that my serious was, I mean, my condition was serious and life-threatening. Um, and he also said that because, because uh, the situation was so precarious with the heart valves that uh, I would have to go through six weeks of antibiotic treatment. And because of the way they had to administer it, because of the strength of it, it can't be done in pill form. It has to be done intravenously. Uh, and it has to be done slowly during out the, throughout the day. And so uh, every day I had eight cartridges about the size of your fist, and I carried those around. They were vacuum cartridges, and, and that went on 24 hours a day for six weeks straight. Um, but... You know, the doctor said, hey, that will take care of it, we believe. And uh, they did a test, of course, afterwards, a follow-up, and uh, absolutely no trace of any infection or infectious marker at all. So God healed me. <laughs> but, but I also want to bear witness to something else that happened, and I had never thought about this before. 
you know, when we're praying for people, I mean, usually, you know, we pray and we got a specific thing we're praying about, and so that's what, that what our focus is. But something happened to me during this whole experience. You know, I was in the hospital for 47 days. <laughs> in 47 days, not one time did I ever have a speck of doubt that God was not going to use your prayers and heal me. I believe that one of the benefits of your praying for me was the fact that I didn't have to go through any, you know, any darkness in regard to what was being asked for, what we were seeking. God lifted me above the fray. And I believe that is some of the, one of the benefits that happens as we pray for one another. Not only do we get the answer, but God lifts us in our faith and, and we get to rise above the circumstances we're going through. Uh, boy, praise be to you, Jesus. <laughs> now, I, I do have a word this morning that I wish to give to you, and uh, uh, I think it's a pretty exciting word, and uh, uh, it's found in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 10, and uh, I'll put it on the board, we'll read it. To start out with, I want you to note that you will find in the reading of this, or as we put it up for you, there are three places that are underlined. The thing that are underlined are uses that the Apostle Paul uses. They are uses of the verb to know. Three times in this text, Paul will use the word know, uh, the verb to know. Uh, know for sure this. There are three truths in this text. Three truths that, that Paul is saying, if you'll get a hold of these, if you can wrap your heart, your mind, and your faith around these and put them into practice, it will change your life. It will radically transform the things that are going on for you and especially what we face, I believe, in 2022. So I want you to notice those as we read them. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know, there's the first one, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know, there's number two, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Three times Paul uses that verb to know in the text. It's what we call an internal outline. 
Most of us are familiar with external outlines where you go one, two, three, or uh, A, B, or C, or uh, Roman numeral one, two, three. That's an external outline. Paul uses verbal expressions to create an internal outline. He's saying to us, this, this is what you got to focus on. Hey, folks, here it is. Here's the things that will radically transform your life and make a difference. Make a difference in your future. And we want to focus on those uh, right now. And uh, the first one, we'll put the first one, I'll put it on the board for you. Yeah, the first truth. The first truth that Paul gives us that will enable us to live victorious kingdom lives is this. We know that we've been identified with Jesus in his death. We've been identified with Jesus in his death. Baptism, Christian baptism. That, that's what he uses as a format in expressing this. Um, and he says, you know, you know, or don't you know, but he uses the negative with the, with the verb. It makes a positive statement. Don't you know that those of us who are baptized were baptized into Jesus' death. We were identified with Jesus in his death. We were identified with Jesus in his burial. We are identified with Jesus in his resurrection. Going down into the waters, being identified with Jesus in his death. Being under the water, not for too long, uh, is being identified with Jesus in his burial. And coming up out of the waters, being identified with Jesus in his resurrection from the dead. You understand? You died with Christ. You're dead in regard to sin. You're dead in regard to temptation. What about dead, don't you understand? <laughs> you know, someone could be an alcoholic their whole life. and I mean, they could even drink themselves to death and die from the disease. And, and uh, you could take... You, you could take their favorite drink or the most expensive brand of their favorite drink and you could take a whole bottle of it and bring it with a glass and put it before the dead body and they wouldn't move at all. That dead body would just stay dead. It would not be tempted even in the slightest way because it's dead in regard to temptation. It's dead in regard to sin. Are you getting this? Your baptism says you are dead in regard to sin. You are dead in regard to temptation. Start playing dead. <laughs> no temptation shall overcome you. Nada, none, not one. Not one. Going down into the water, dying with Christ, being under the water, being buried with Christ, coming up out of the water, being raised from the dead with Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we have a, several verses that express um, what Creator God, what our Father in Heaven wants to do in regard to our sin. And I think they're all just great reminders. I'm going to put a couple of them on the board for you. Here's the first one. Psalms chapter 103.10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. How, how great is his love for us? How, how great? As far as the heavens are above the earth. Can you hear it with your heart? 
And as a result, here's what he does with our sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I mean, you could start walking, and if you were walking east, you know, and you could keep going, and let's say there's no curvature of the earth, no gravitation pull, you just keep going straight, and somebody else goes west, and they just keep going straight. Do they ever meet? No. As far as the east is from the west, infinite. That is how far he has removed our sins from us. I hope you're getting this. That is why you're dead to sin. You're dead to it. You're dead to it. Let me show you one more. Micah 7.19. I love this. You hurled all my iniquities into the depths of the sea. God has taken all of our iniquities, hurled them into the depth of the sea where they cannot be found or seen, and he puts up a sign, no fishing allowed. (laughs) How effective is the death of Christ on our behalf? This is so key. Listen, so key, all right? Jesus Christ did not just die for you. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. He took your place. He took my place. He died for us. He took the things that I deserved, and he took them for me. And then he took what he deserved and what he has earned, which is eternal life and favor with God as a son and a daughter of God, and he gave that to us. To us. dead in regard to sin and temptation. That's the first truth. Paul said, I want you to know this. Your baptism shows that you are dead in regard to sin and and temptation. Start living as dead (laughs) to those things. The second truth, the second truth which God gives us, um, the second truth God gives us to empower us to live um, victorious kingdom lives We know that we've been set free from slavery to sin. Verse 6. For we know, there's our indicator, internal outline. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We should no longer be slaves to sin. Listen, we all are of the human race. And all of us, including you, including me, we have the DNA, the physical DNA of our father, our human father, Adam. All of us are born with a sin nature. All of us are born with a posturing towards sin. We have a bent towards sin, a propensity to be sinners. It's part of you. It's part of me. We were born with it. I I want you to listen. You can listen with your ears and hopefully your heart as I I read Romans chapter 14, or chapter 7, verse 14, just the next page. And we know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do what I hate. I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. 
For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. And here's the biblical truth, you know, spoken in this, in Romans chapter 6. Here's the truth. Is that, is that, look at it. I'll read it again. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. For we know our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That in you which rises up and it feels like sometimes it, you know, it just overpowers us. Did you know it really has no power over you? (laughs) Whoa, really? Yeah, really. That's the truth. It was handled on the cross. Well, you say, why? Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. How How come I keep going there then? What's wrong with me? I, I had an experience when I was growing up on the farm. I, I grew up as a, on a farm in Iowa. And do you know the one thing you have to have if you ever go to Iowa? Enough money to get out. <laughs> now, we were pig farmers. My dad was a hog farmer. We raised all kinds of hogs, all kinds of pigs, and our farm always stunk like pigs. <laughs> I mean, there is nothing stronger than pig manure if you've ever experienced it. <laughs> it is the worst. I used to, I remember I, you know, clean out the hog, hog barn and I'd, you know, come in and my, you know, take a shower, everything didn't matter. I could, you could still smell it on my hands. I'd go to school two days later, and I could still smell. <laughs> wow! The bus would pull up to our farm, and, and the kids would hold their nose and go, P-U! Now, you know, under the modern conditions now, they use what's called confinement barns, and pigs are raised under confinement for the most part, and as a result, they're able to filter out uh, the smell and all that goes with that. On the pig farm that we had, though, one was, in the summertime, we would do something. We would put the pigs out in the pasture so they could run free, and it was a healthy environment for them. We would take a fence and run a fence all the way around about two acres, pull in some portable buildings so they had housing, and, uh, and the fence we put around the two acres, it was always an electric fence. Now, an electric fence is interesting. It's one thin wire that just goes all the way around but it has a large electric charge running through the fence. And whenever the pig gets close, or not close, but whenever he touches the fence, (laughs) he gets a huge shock. Now, the electric fence is an effective way uh, to keep the pigs in the pen. But the pig is nearsighted, or farsighted, rather, farsighted. He can't see the fence. So he doesn't see it, and so he bumps into it first few times. He bumps into it, ah, it gets that jolt, but soon he learns where it's at, and he stays away from the fence. It's really effective. Well, the first year we did this, um, we went ahead, and the pigs were ready for market, and so we pulled the trucks up 
uh, we went ahead and you know, shut up the pigs in their temporary barns and we took down the electric fence. However, when we wanted to get the pigs onto the trucks, we could not get the pigs to move because they would not cross the place where that fence had been. They were locked in a prison in their minds. We had to catch and carry and load each pig 225 pounds each by hand. I remember it well. The pigs had become locked in a pen without a fence. It seems to me that a similar thing has happened to many of us as we come to faith in Christ Jesus. We have grown so accustomed to be slaves to sin that even when the fence is down, we stay prisoners enslaved in our minds. I want to show it to you. Look at the scripture. Watch the scripture. Watch this. Okay, Colossians 1.21. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Because of the guilt from our evil behavior, we end up going ahead and assuming that God is our enemy. We get locked in the prison in our minds. But the fence is gone, folks, for those of us in Christ. We have been set free. Sin shall have no power over you. The sin nature... It, it, it has been put to death. It's been crucified. We no longer need to be slaves to sin. The fence has been removed. Sin has no power any longer over you. You say, yeah, but how come I keep giving into it? Whoa, you tell me. You tell me. I am saying to you right now, by the word of God and the testimony of Jesus that the sin nature in you has been crucified and you no longer need to obey it, but you need to understand that. When sin knocks now, you can say, sorry, no one home. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. That is the truth that you need to know that you need to know. You remember the, prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son? It's one of Jesus' most famous parables. Uh, you know, the two boys, he had two sons, an older one and a younger one, and the younger one comes to his father and says, Dad, <laughs> you know, I, you're getting old, and you know, you're going to die sometime, and I'm going to inherit a lot of money, and you know what? I thought it would just be a good idea if I could get that money now. And uh, the father took the risk and gave him the money. And we know what happened. He went off to a far country, it says, and he did his, you know, he, he uh, wasted all of his money in riotous living, and the next thing we know, we find him out living with the pigs. <laughs> a Jewish boy with the pigs? Can you imagine that? But one day he gets up and said, you know what, this stinks. I'm tired of this. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. I'll be glad to serve as your servant because then I'll have enough to eat in a warm place. I mean, the servants are way better off than I am right now. That's what I'm going to do. So he started home. Unbeknown to him, every day his dad's been going out on the roof of the house and looking down the road and just wishing and waiting and hoping that his son would appear. 
And one day he looks out and here's a distant figure coming in. He notices the gate on the, on the figure coming in. He says, oh, that's my son. And he can't restrain himself. He runs out of the house, runs out to meet the son. He throws his arms around him. And the son just starts out, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called. Your son and the father will have nothing to do with it. He says, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a signet ring. Put a ring on his finger. That's a signet ring. A signet ring gave you ownership of everything. It meant that he had now the right to the family's wealth. He could cash checks again. And put sandals on his feet. Sandals are a sign of authority. Family members wore sandals, but servants didn't. Put the sandals on his feet, for this my son who was dead is alive again. He is lost, and now he is found. Do you understand? Why do you want to live with the pigs when you already have a place in the palace? There's a bumper sticker that's out there. It's, you maybe have seen it. Uh, probably more, it's probably a few years back, so I, I don't know that we see them anymore. But uh, it, it used to say this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, I understand the intent of that, it, you know, intent to show humility. And, and I'm, you know, I mean, you, I, all of us, it doesn't matter. You know, we're saved by the grace of Jesus. We know that uh, for sure, not by anything that we've done. But the statement, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, is not true. Not true. You see, the truth is you were a sinner saved by grace. But now you have been saved and you're a son and a daughter of God. You are seated in the heavens with Jesus Christ. You have all the privileges of what it means to be a member of God's family. That's who you are. And, and you say to me, yeah, but I, I still sin. Yeah, but you used to be a professional. <laughs> there's, a, there's a third truth in our text which, uh, which God or which Paul wants to use to empower us to live victorious kingdom lives. And here it is. The third truth. No, we have resurrection life in Christ. No, we have resurrection life in Christ. Uh, chapter 6, 9 and 10. For we know, there's that interior outline again, that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. We've talked about this just a little bit already today in, in the communion experience. Um, you know, when we view the cross... We can't view the cross just by itself. We have to also view the resurrection. See, the cross and the resurrection are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. When one is named, the other is also intended. When one is named, the other is also implied. I, I like to refer to this as the Christ event. The cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the Christ event. The Christ event is the single most important event ever to occur on planet Earth, bar none. Nothing greater has ever happened on planet Earth than the Christ event, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel. We, we say, we often say we preach the gospel of the cross. 
And, and there's, there's truth in that. But Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom because there's a larger picture, you see. There's a larger picture. Jesus said, I have come as king. I have come back to take rulership of planet Earth, and that's what we're doing overall. Biggest and most important event of that is the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we need, you know, we need both the cross and the resurrection. Um, I need the cross because it handles my history. I need the cross because it handles my bad behavior. <laughs> It, it, it handles that downside of me, and it handles the guilt that comes from it. I mean, wow, I need that. You need that. We need something to forgive our history. But once it's done, once, it, once it's done, you know, look, look, look at verse uh, 9 again, or yeah, verse 9 again. The death he died, he died once to sin, once for all. He died to sin once for all. Jesus Christ in his death on the cross died for all the sins of all humanity throughout history, throughout the whole history of humankind. All of it. But once our sin is handled, then what? What do you still need? You need life. Once, once you, you receive everything, all you can receive from Christ's death, which is you know, the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of our guilt, what do you still need? You still need life. What about your destiny? What about your future? What happens now? That, that, that's the resurrection. That I might live, that you might live in this thing called resurrection power. That part, you that's half the formula. Okay, let me, let me give you two verses. The first one we recognize right away. We're, we are, we're real used to it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen and hallelujah, I know. But the second part, or this, Philippians 3.10, it's just as important. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him unto death, and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. Death handles our history, but you have to have a destiny, and you do that in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have new life. You have new life. I want to show you a couple of verses, and this takes a certain place. Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free all those who all their lives were held slavery by the fear of death. What do you think would happen to us human beings if somehow someone could come along and free us from our fear of death? Free us from our fear of death. If we were totally free from the fear of death, what would that look like? There's a little-known play, um, a delightful play. It's called, And Then Lazarus Laughed. And Then Lazarus Laughed. It picks up, in Lazarus' life, it picks up right after Jesus called him forth from the tomb and raised him from the dead. Uh, I mean, can you imagine what happened after that when Lazarus comes back from the dead? 
He now knew what death was and what it was not. When anyone would ask Lazarus, what's it like to die, Lazarus? And he would just start to laugh. (laughs) And he would laugh and laugh. And finally, when he got control of himself in the most upbeat tone, he'd say, there is only life beyond the grave. There is light and laughter and joy, amazing beauty and wonderful life. And Lazarus would go around laughing everywhere. What would it be like to be free from the fear of death if that was removed? The Roman soldiers did not know what to do with Lazarus. Finally, they cornered Lazarus and they said, if you don't stop this insane laughter, we're going to kill you. And Lazarus just looked at them and started to laugh. Go ahead, kill me. I know I won't be dead, not even for one second. I know what is beyond the grave for me. It's wonderful life, abundant joy, unbelievable beauty, breathtaking peace and laughter. (laughs) And they were at a total loss at what to do with someone who had lost all fear of death. There's one more verse I want to show you, and I'll put that up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Did you know that's not future? That's not future. That is here right now. It's not future. It's not something that's going to take place in the future. Eternal life does not start when you die. It starts the moment you believe. Did you know this morning right now, I realize you're sitting here, okay? You are. I can see you, so. Empirical proof. Okay? But did you know that you are also seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus on his throne at the right hand of God, the place of power and authority and grace? It's called positional truth. The reason in this movement called revival Christianity that we talk about living from heaven to earth is we are already there. Already there. And that is why Jesus, please, invites us. Please take advantage of your position. Of your position. I don't know about you, but but I do believe with all my heart that if, if we could take hold of these three truths, they will radically shift how we live. They will radically shift what we do. It will radically shift our joy, our attitude, and our understanding. If you're sitting here today and sin and temptation have been something that's been more active in your life than you think it should be or than the Holy Spirit thinks it should be, and you would know that because he'll tell you. (laughs) He'll tell you when it's not right. But you say, I'm living under way too much of that. And if you are living under that at all, you're living under way too much of it because you've been set free from it. Come on. You've been set free from it. You are dead in regard to sin and temptation. You are dead and it's time to start saying no. And you are going to be shocked at how little power temptation has if you start to say no.
Because it's already, you're dead in regard to it. You're dead in regard to it. One of the most powerful words on planet Earth is the word now. Yeah. Your sin nature, that tendency to sin, and you say in me, there's a pattern in me, and I just keep going there, and, and I feel so guilty, but I don't know what I'm going to do, and here's what you're going to do. It's already dead. And you're going to learn to look at it as dead, and you say, no, I don't have to go there, and you don't have to. Because that sense of it all is going on, just a game in your mind. The fence is already down. Start living free. I want to declare a freedom over you, and I want you to go away and declare a freedom over yourself no more. Why do I want to live in the pig pen when I've got a place in the palace? Fear of death. The fear of death. Look, you are raised already from the dead in Jesus Christ. You are seated right now at the right hand of the Father. Eternal life is already in you. Those are the truths that we're to live by. Those are the truths. When we let that light shine in us, it burns brightly. And people around us begin to see it. They say, whoa. <laughs> Lots of times they say, what's wrong with you? But they really mean, what's right with you? That's what they really mean. Come to prayer with me. Papa, Daddy, Father, we come before you right now and we are asking... We're asking that you mark us out. Holy Spirit, we want you to burn this truth deep inside of us that we cannot forget it in any kind of way, shape, or form, and that is that we are dead in regard to sin and temptation. We are dead. Help us to begin to act like it. I want new action to come upon me, Lord Jesus. I want new activity to come upon me so that I indeed walk out what it is to live dead to sin and temptation. I believe that's a serious prayer for some. You really need to pray that, Lord. I, I want you to activate me in such a way so that I live dead to sin. That I truly can't hear it knock any longer. And if you start saying no, it won't be long before it's not, not, knock, or before it's not knocking anymore. If that sin habit, if you've been in a sin habit in some kind of way, you need to know. Jesus already put that to death. The fence is down. You are free. And it is time to begin to say, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Because that's how Jesus has invited you to live. To live in his power, to live under the, under the fact that your sin nature in you has been put to death already on the cross. It has no power over you. And then there's the resurrection from the dead. You are already raised with Jesus Christ. Resurrection life is inside of you. It's in you. 
you are on an adventure which is the most exciting adventure that can be lived out on planet Earth, and that's the adventure of living in the power of the resurrection. To live that knowing that each day is not your, could never be your last because it's always your first. It's the first day of your new life, which is part of you forever, 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 forever. I just want to do this in case, you know, Pastor Jamie usually or often does it, and that's, you know, in case you came in here today and you don't, know these things you don't you haven't embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior and but you'd say to me this morning Pastor Doyle I, I want to do that I, I, I want to come to faith I want to come to the kind of faith I see you talking about I want I, that's the kind of faith I want to come to and if that's you or if you find yourself sitting here been a part of the house for a while but but you're sensing a spark going on that says hey this is a this is a new new this is a new place for you it's a new plateau to reach for and I'm reaching for that plateau right now I want you to pray with me okay everybody pray out loud just so that it won't matter who does or who doesn't, okay? But, but whatever your situation, I want you to come with your heart this morning and, and pray these prayers. I'll give you the words. Dear Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you, the door of my life. I invite you to come into my life and into my heart. And, and I, Father in heaven, I, I come. I, I come and I'm asking you to forgive all my sin. Which Jesus died for on the cross. I want you to forgive all my sin. And Holy Spirit, empower me with the power of the resurrection. I want to live a new life in Christ. I want to know the joy. I want to know the victory of being able to say no to sin. And yes to life and joy. And abundance. If you prayed that prayer, Jesus Christ opened your heart and he came into your heart right now and he's never going to leave you. He'll never forsake you. <laughs> what a great day. What a great day. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, most of you know that Pastor Jamie usually ends his messages by uh, praying a blessing over us. He uses Numbers chapter uh, 6, verses 22 to the end. Uh, through 27 he uses that as a blessing only he does such a great job of it I wouldn't I wouldn't pretend to be able to rise up to the way he does this so I'm just going to do it the old-fashioned way but but li listen though this is key Th this is really key okay the Lord said to Moses tell Aaron and his sons this is how are you to bless the Israelites say to them the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom peace so they will put my name on the Israelites, listen, and I will bless them. I don't think you can do this without something transferring. And, I, and I, you know, anytime Pastor Jamie does that, I want you to just, you know, you should be in your, whatever mode you're in, you should just be, I'm receiving, I'm receiving, Lord, I want this. Okay? Everybody ready? We're going to give it a try. Okay. Stand to your feet. Look up and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his peace. 
in your leisure and your labor, your coming and your going today and all week long. In Jesus' name, amen.